Hello, everybody, and welcome to Friends of the Force, a Star Wars podcast. I'm your host, Brad. And I'm your host, Sarah. And this is Attack of the Clones April Continued. Folks, if you are listening to our second episode of this special month, you have granted us unlimited emergency power because we're about to bring you the greatest episode ever. Or we're going to try to at least. Because we are covering one of the greatest episodes ever of Star Wars. Yeah, this episode is going to have it all. It's going to have love of democracy. It's going to have incomplete Jedi archives. It's going to have diners. It's going to have forbidden romance um between us and our google doc i think <laughs> um, it's going to have uh wars and it's going to have mystery this episode this episode is all the things except for the beach and also sand dunes it is not mm-hmm. that so strap in get ready because it's going to be crazy a wild wild ride <laughs> I feel like we're overselling this episode. <laughs> Guys, Can't we're look. just we're just here for the vibes, really. That's all we're here for. But hey, if you're like, what the heck is Attack of the Clones April? It's because we are celebrating the 20th anniversary of one of our favorite Star Wars films. And we want to talk about it all month long. The first week, if you missed it, we talked all about digital cinema as it relates to George Lucas's vision for the franchise. So go check that episode out if you haven't already. And make sure to be following us online so you catch all of our future episodes for this month coming up because we got special guests on these next and final two episodes of attack of the clones april so stay tuned and just to hype those episodes up you are seriously not going to want to miss them because these guests are very cool and very fun and we're going to talk about some very silly and also some very awesome topics so yeah get ready because the attack of the love clones love is is Really, we're we're still in the front half of it this month. Um, and yes, if you're like Attack of the Clones, April, the May, the film debuted in May. Guys, 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 May's really busy, so we decided to celebrate a month early. It's okay; the celebrations will continue throughout May. So, with that all being said, this episode, as we sold it up top, is essentially just conversation about our love for this movie and all of the amazing things from this movie because we are big fans we are big fans and we were also kids who grew up with this movie so we were the perfect age for it um Mm -hmm. and there's really so much to love sarah what are some of your earliest memories of attack of the clones and why did it leave an imprint on you um because it's amazing is why it left an imprint on me. And uh, some of my earliest memories were sitting in front of the TV console with my brother, watching the arena scene. For some reason, like I have a memory of doing that, but it's not me sitting in the memory. It's like me up above myself and seeing the whole memory, if that makes (laughs) sense. Um, And also always making sure I had this movie on road trips because my family loved to go camping. We would drive there. And this is a perfect road trip movie. Anybody who says otherwise is wrong. This was the last Star Wars film released on VHS. I did not have it on VHS. Okay, so you had like a DVD player in your car then, not a VHS. Because yes. we, we had an no. old Suburban that had a VHS player under like one of the back a VHS seats. VHS player in your car? In the car, under the seat. What? Yeah, this is the car I drove in high school, my first car. It had a That's VHS f- player, yeah. Amazing, amazing. Yeah. No, we had a so DVD player. pop that Attack of the Clones VHS in there and watch it. And I don't know if we had the movies in widescreen or full screen, mm. but we had all three of them. 
but like my other memory is like playing Lego Star Wars, the complete saga with my brother. And that's a lot of my childhood fandom. So did you like, did you also play this game? Did it also make up chi- your childhood fandom yes. or was it more like the movies themselves? Yeah, it was the movies themselves. It was the action figures. The packaging of the action figures felt really special. The Attack of the Clones packaging, like the blue and, oh God, it's just, it was a good era of Star Wars toys. And also, yeah, Lego Star Wars definitely heightened my appreciation for the prequels. Although that was still a couple years removed from this film. See, for me, all of this comes together at the same time because I was like too young to see this film in theaters. And I got into it a couple years later. So all of my prequel memories are happening at the same time. There wasn't necessarily that the year's worth of, of wait in between the movies because I was just, you know, a young kid when all these movies were coming out. Sarah, you weren't there in 1977. Are you kidding me? You weren't there in line. <laughs> I was. I was. I just was. Uh, in spirit. In spirit. Uh, yeah. And there, my 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 baby, my fetus ghost was maybe there. Like, floating floating around the star wars theater (laughs) before i was even a thought in anybody's mind (laughs) oh man (laughs) maybe no you know maybe like before i was reincarnated into this version of me maybe i was like a bunny who lived outside the star wars theater so maybe i was there (laughs) we are recording this episode exhausted folks it's gonna be a good one maybe i was somebody's dog and they were taking a walk in hollywood down the street past the theater that they showed a new hope and i was like bark here's the deal here's the deal loudly here's the deal with that whole there in 1977 fandom you can't draw the fandom hierarchy around that but you make a you make a good point though because the whole like oh i was there in 1977 as if you know that's sort of you know not to discredit anybody who was there or did experience those first memories of star wars because it sounds amazing yeah i i wish i was alive during that time it would have been great but I think there's a important thing to realize amongst the fandom is that everybody has a different entry point into Star Wars. And although I did start out with the original trilogy through like the special edition re-releases on VHS and that was, you know, my brother sort of just plopped me in front of the TV and I soaked those movies in like day after day. It was really when the prequels came out that I started having those conscious memories. So I would really consider that more so an entry point for my like heightened fandom and my heightened appreciation of the franchise because of like the geonosian battle and like the sandbox that kind of just expanded right and i think for george who wanted to create all these vast environments and these giant landscapes and these incredible battles that we would never have dreamed of in star wars and all of a sudden they're on screen like talk about the cgi and whatever all day long these movies are revolutionary for like visual effects especially in star wars and it just as a kid, prequel kids, this is our shit. Opened our imagination up to so much and the potential mm-hmm. of Star Wars, right? Like the mythos of Star Wars is always there, but this is really like about how far can we take the franchise? Like how big can we go? And like how can we wow people, make people come to the theater and just like have their jaw hit the floor just on the sheer visuals and the, the chills that you get on your arm when the gunships swoop in for the first time and you see the clones in action and all the lasers are firing and the Jedi are swinging their lightsabers around and you got the clone war beginning. Like that's so exciting as a kid. And like, that's why I love this movie and that's why I have such fond memories of it. Yeah. So let's kind of dive into some of the overarching reasons why we love this movie so much and why it 
sticks in our mind after all these years as something that we truly love because what you were touching on just there is the scope of this film is so vast and every star wars film has introduced us to new worlds and new environments and new creatures and new technology but this like kicks it up to a thousand mm -hmm. in this movie and and i think that's one of the big selling points for me as a childhood fan and when i went back and watched it for attack the clones april what sticks out to me is all these different environments and soundscapes and creatures and in places that we get to explore in this movie i mean camino is incredible and the fact that we yes. keep revisiting camino shows how awesome it is right like we've gotten it in the clone wars we've gotten it in the bad batch but i also really love how camino the, you know this planet that george wanted to show has now become so ingrained in these stories and we keep revisiting it from a different angle and you know we'll we'll get into that a little bit more with like the the Kaminoans and and their role in the eventual tragedy but yeah and like coruscant we get to see a lot, a lot of the uh under levels of Coruscant, like the bar scene, the fact that, you know, we watch Obi-Wan and uh, Anakin like fly through the city and like Obi-Wan's jumping out a window and Anakin's jumping out of a speeder, like this free fallen. <laughs> we do revisit Tatooine, but we also get so many of these just beautiful establishing shots like Anakin on the speeder as Duel of the Fates plays. I mean, that I think alone is one of the most iconic Star Wars shots. I think that's mm -hmm. always the one that I will think of when I when I when I think of this film mm. immediately like the silhouette against the the binary sunset right and you know that he is starting to to turn to the dark side so there's a visual language to this film as well that the locations sort of influence the story and give off the the mood of the film right Naboo yeah. luscious environments a love story Camino very dark rainy grim cloudy it's like a mystery it's a uh, who it's like a whodunit in some ways, you know, and and Coruscant is just sort of the vibe. Dex's diner, yeah. all of that. I mean, I mean, we're getting all of these in different environments that are vastly, vastly different from one another. And it does like show us so much of the universe that we haven't seen in the same way before or haven't seen since. So, you know, between the different environments on Coruscant, we are really kind of understanding the hustle and bustle nature of this place between the diner, between that speeder chase, between the Senate, between the archives, between, you know, how the Jedi sit atop their tower, which we did see in Phantom Menace, but we're getting a different outside perspective of that space as well. And then on Camino, we're getting this like shiny white sanitized futuristic version on Naboo you know the lusciousness as you mentioned the tranquility like this this very romantic sort of setting and you get Tatooine sand um and <laughs> and that you're getting a little hustle and bustle there but still kind of getting this environment that's detached from uh other like native elements of Tatooine so that makes it interesting and complex and then you know, we get the space stuff, we get Geonosis, which resembles Tatooine in some ways and it's coloring and, and, but it's also hustling, bustling with the arena, with all of the Geonosians there, with the droid factory. I'm, there is so much to the environment happening in this world. And you can see kind of the chaos simmering and rising as the movie goes on because all of these different environments are so disconnected from one another. Mm hmm. Despite all of these digital environments, too, they're still doing on-location shooting. You know, they they shot on-location at 
at Lake Como for those scenes. And they went back to Tunisia for um, the homestead. I was watching one of the webisodes uh, about shooting on location. And, <laughs> and the guy filming was like, hey, George, wh- what are you filming for Revenge of the Sith right now? He's like, I can't tell you. <laughs> and we know that he was filming the final scene of Revenge of the Sith oh, with the sunset, yeah. right? Because yeah. he was like, I'm not coming back here and I'm not coming back here in six months. We're we're filming this right now. <laughs> and then it's done. And then we're not having to come back here. And mm-hmm. then he's like, well, what if you don't get the shot that you want? You need something else later on. He's like, I'll get it. <laughs> you know? So I loved how still there was, there was an element of, um, there was an element of practicality to, you know, shooting locations. But I think there was a point that was made about how, if these digital environments feel believable and they feel real, when you kind of mix them in with the practical, you start to not tell the difference sometimes. Yeah. It's yeah. just amazing what can be done with digital tech. And I think that's why we, we get some of the uh, vastness in this movie and the, just the scope grows and it leads into Revenge of the Sith, where yeah. it's even bigger. It's the biggest scale of Star Wars to date at that point. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that... Um all of the vast landscapes are, are really one of those things that sticks out to me the most um, because I kind of want to go to all of these places. You, there's a sense of wonder to every one of them. Even if you're like, I don't actually want to go to Geonosis, but like you want to feel the sun, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I feel like as, it's really a, musty there. I feel like it's uh, you go there and your skin bakes and like, yeah, you're, ex- you're inhaling fumes that you shouldn't be. Oh, a hundred percent. hundred percent. doesn't feel like a great place to, uh, to vacation. Where would you vacation out of all of the locations in this movie? There's an obvious answer here and it's Naboo. Like take me to Italy. <laughs> <laughs> like it's Naboo. Stop. Like end of, end of, you don't even need to ask the question. The answer is just Naboo. Should we go like to Lake Como and record a friends of the forest episode by the lake? Yes. Are you going to fund that trip? <laughs> no. Put it in. Oh. <laughs> we'll take it. We'll take some Patreon money out. But hey. Oh, that uh, will not get us super far. <laughs> we're, we're still very far away. But hey, Lake Como does appear, you know, uh, in the higher public, by the way, which is great. So, you know, we get some of those locations mm-hmm. that now to this day continue to come up in Star Wars. And it was just awesome how George's imagination gave birth to these places that we keep revisiting. I think that's... Uh, the wonderful part about Star Wars is like, yes, they're the same planets, but they're important planets to us and they mean a lot to us. You know, it's not just the homestead, you know, that there is a nostalgic element to that. But as we said, we are prequel kids through and through. So it's very rewarding to revisit these environments, Camino, Naboo, yeah. Geonosis, uh, and current day Star Wars storytelling, uh, Geonosis, mm-hmm. even in Rebels, right? With like Saw Gerrera, yeah. that whole storyline was really awesome. Um, so it's, it's, a it's a vindication for us as well because the prequel kids are here to stay. It's very validating. So I think another thing that like probably spoke to you just as much as it spoke to me when we were kids was like this very high stakes action packed action sequences that are happening throughout this movie. This movie really isn't like leading up to one big battle. We start with a bang with the speeder chase and then we immediately kind of go into um you know some of the mysterious aspects of this the mystery is bubbling but then we continue to get more action in this movie whether it be the space battle well i guess the land and then space battle between obi-wan and Django. um then we also get some of the action on um 
I mean, well, it's emotional. And then he slaughters the men and the women and the children too. It's just a whole thing. Um, on Which Tatooine, hits different post book of Boba Fett. It's not, it's not great. Wasn't, was not a good choice uh, on his part. Not um, great Anakin. Yeah. Then we get Geonosis stuff, which encapsulates like the last third of the movie, but that's just nonstop action from the droid factory to the arena to the lightsaber battle between Count Dooku and Anakin and then Count Dooku and Yoda. Um, there's so much here to keep, I think, especially a kid's mind engaged. Mm -hmm. So do you have a favorite action sequence? What stuck out to you as a kid? Yeah, I do want to say, like, despite some of the the stilted dialogue that still doesn't always work for me in this film and that's some of the fun of it you know we we look at these films 20 years later and like it's all good but when you sort of like get to those moments and then it's like followed by this intense action sequence you're like holy shit like my heart's racing i am so excited and the fact that this movie somehow manages to do that like every like 15 minutes compared to most star wars movies which like have a lot of lulls and maybe not the most exciting action sequences is like pretty good honestly and I think that's why this movie is so um, underrated in many ways. I feel like a lot of people consider this like the least favorite prequel or least, you know, fan favorite prequel, which I disagree with. This prequel movie is great. All prequel movies are great. Let's just put that out there. Yeah. I mean, it's often more lowly regarded than the other prequel films and just within people's rankings. Uh, but I think they're missing the fun of this movie yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, because how as like, me okay imagine me at seven just like loving the shit out of the droid scene it's funny it's action-packed it's high stakes padme almost gets lavaed i'm now using mm -hmm. that as an action word she almost gets like burned to death by the lava right like that's could go really badly for her right and so for me like that was probably the most action-packed sequence that i loved followed very 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 closely with the geonosis battle arena scene because like oh my god the Reek, the Nexu, the Acklay, my, my trio, you know, everybody's got their Star Wars trio. Is it <laughs> Luke, Leia, Han? Is it BB-8, R2-D2, C-3PO, or the trio, Obi-Wan, Anakin, Padme? But my trio is the Reek, the Nexu, and the Acklay. Mm. Period. End of sentence. Drops the mic. Yeah. The droid factory scene's really fun. <laughs> I, I feel like I remember myself as a kid, like watching that on VHS over and over or DVD or whatever. And like pretending that I was Anakin, like in there, like I would like lie on the floor and like have my arm out, like trapped <laughs> and like, I love just, that. And like, like be rolling back and forth, like trying to dodge these like imaginary like cutters, which by the way, like watching that, I don't know why it took me this long to understand the foreshadowing of that scene of like how we, we keep nearly seeing him get his hand cut off and it's like, almost a joke like <laughs> as an audience member in 2002 you're like wow really glad he didn't get his hand cut off and then like 20 oh, minutes wait. later he's like oh shit he got his hand cut off so yeah. you know poor anakin um poor guy i think for me the the coruscant chase and the asteroid field are my two favorite action scenes in this movie because obviously i was waiting for Django fett like watching that teaser trailer over and over and like the glimpse mm -hmm. we get of Django in the in the jetpack i was like oh my god is boba fett gonna be in this film like i this is before i really was into like you know knowing the happenings and the rumors and everything 
I'm a kid. I you, just I just watched you were the trailer. Seven. I just you watched the seven. trailer and I'm okay. like, cool. That was before I was into the rumors and things. Yeah, you were seven. You were like in <laughs> second grade and you were like learning how to write good sentences. Listen, I was still on some of the. I would still ponder some of the hyperspace forums. You know, every now okay. and then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was online way too much. You know, AM AM instant e, messenger. At, Is that before your time? At age six. AL yes. instant messenger. Yeah. Yeah, I was using that stuff when Revenge of the Sith came out. So let's let's talk about. Well, it, you honestly. were you were like nine or ten when Revenge. It's huge huge difference between being like six or seven versus being nine or ten. Yeah, you know, I don't know. Felt like the same kid, but you know. Anyways, I you were not the same kid. Felt like it. <laughs> Felt like it. Okay, I'm just some nerdy Star Wars kid reenacting every battle sequence because you know I want to be a Jedi. But yeah, yeah, I I think this was a a really awesome battle because of just like the rain and. Um, we don't get many like uh, blaster versus lightsaber battles in star Wars. We, we see so few of those. So to mm-hmm. get that and like Obi-Wan, uh, braving a bounty hunter and the elements was like really exciting and getting slave one Boba Fett behind the cockpit, like shooting. I just love the sound effects of that. Um, and the asteroid field, the seismic charge, obviously, I mean, come on the birth of the seismic charge. I, I think that was probably seismic charge. <laughs> is perhaps the most iconic sound to exist in star Wars. Like I understand that the lightsaber noise exists and I understand that Darth Vader breathing exists, but they're not the seismic charge. Listen, if somebody says Darth Vader breathing is their favorite star Wars sound effect, I do not trust them. But like, you get what I'm saying when I say that like Darth Vader breathing is an iconic star Wars sound, you know, like nobody's going to sure. hear Which that. They and do be use like, it in the trailer for this you know, no, movie. Yeah. But like, nobody's going to hear that and be like, Oh my God, Dr. Who, <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, like there are so many iconic sounds that you, you associate with star Wars and that's one of them. But my point being is that like the seismic charge is one of those sounds and it's, it's the, best it's like so immensely satisfying seismic charges stand by oh i totally agree because even now getting it in book of Boba Fett and getting it in Mando. I'm like, yeah, keep, keep including Boba Fett and everything nowadays, because if that means we get more seismic charge content, capital C content, mm-hmm, I'm here mm-hmm. for it. You know, like I need to like a, like a seismic charge ringtone every time I get a text, like a wall <gasps> in my, in my, in my pocket, you know, that's kind of a genius idea. I know. I know there's probably a way to do it, but you know, um, I don't know. <laughs> oh, or maybe like Tesla's, you know, how you can like customize Tesla's, to make no. your honk, you can make your honk anything. Imagine if you made your honk on a Tesla, like a, a seismic charge. <laughs> <laughs> what? Every time you I have the no horn. concept of the Tesla. I don't yeah, own a you Tesla. Can, you can do anything with it, pretty much. You can make your, okay. you could, you could make your horn say like faster and more intense by George Lucas. Like you can make him saying <laughs> that as your, as your horn. Okay. Well, maybe we shouldn't be doing that. Maybe as a society, as a society, like technology has gone too far. We shouldn't be doing that. But like, no, I, I think, think everybody's us- horn should be the seismic charge sound effect. I think that would make driving much more enjoyable and chaotic. That's all I'm saying. I don't think driving needs to be more chaotic, but I digress. I digress. I, I think that this conversation about all these iconic sounds like brings us into the idea that like this movie 
is the source of so many unforgettable Star Wars sounds, including the seismic charge, including the soundtrack itself, the way that the clones march, the way that, um, you know, the Ackley sounds when it's being slaughtered. Um, but like these sounds take me directly back to my childhood and directly back to those feelings that I felt when I watched this movie of like wonder and excitement and joy. And so whether it be the sounds of the speeders on Coruscant as they navigate that landscape or the music while that's happening, or just like the way that um, Obi-Wan's kind of imprisonment sounds or like the way that Yoda flippy flips or, or like any of these things, the, the, oh my God, oh my God, literally all of the droid factory sounds, the chung, chung, you know, of the way that these are coming down, that all takes me back to being a kid in the best way. And in that, on top of the fact that this is a movie where we got across the stars, which I know we'll talk about all of the romantic elements of this film a little bit later, but like, oh my God, that is, that is Star Wars. That is Star Wars, that song. Also, the first time we ever hear the sound effect of a, a low altitude assault transport flying like you know like the i live uh, for that i live for that sound okay oh my god when are we getting one of those in like like the mandalorian like you know we already got the n1 starfighter put it back in live action is all i'm saying i, I need that i need that ship somewhere that is that is such a satisfying sound and i'm i'm right there with you as like that that feels like my childhood i just like, i need it back best way it was good to get the n1 starfighter back so now we just need now we just need the the lat series gunship back so anyways i digress and also too like one sound effect that stands out to me um and just like the weirdness of star wars too is like when r2 is getting the message from obi-wan on geonosis and he's like please relay this message to coruscant and it's like his like voice is getting distorted and like while it's getting yeah. distorted and, and you hear the plug of R2 kind of turning and you hear R2 chirping and then you hear the sound effect of like the speeder Anakin returning with Shmi and like that classic speeder sound happening with the music overlay of like this really dark tone. It's like all those like sound effects layered on top of each other at the same exact time. It's like ASMR, honestly. I'm not an ASMR person, but like Star Wars ASMR is like real. Like hearing all those sound effects together is like, ooh, it's like chills up my spine. Okay, I feel I feel the Star Wars ASMR exact way about like <laughs> the entirety of Kamino and the way that like um, the Kaminoans' voices are so soft and gentle and like the way that that whole environment is so quiet and the way that the doors open. Oh my gosh. That's why I love biomes it for me. so much on Disney Plus because it's just the ambient more sounds. Biomes. Yeah. We need more biomes. I might watch that tonight, actually, now that we're talking about it. But hey. You should. Yeah, the soundscape, the music. I mean, this might be one of John Williams's best scores best i think all this prequel music sure. is pretty much his best because i mean empire strikes back i would say is probably the best of the original trilogy but i feel like every single prequel film he doesn't miss he really doesn't like between the coruscant chase and this the camino theme across the stars uh, revisiting like the trade federation uh kind of march but now it's like evolved into like the republic Mm -hmm. and the imperial march at the end of the film too with the clones when the clone wars begin and you see bail organa like shit like this this is bad and you're you're getting the evolution of the empire in those tones it's just it's all good stuff like john williams pulled all the stops 
Can we just like mention while while we're talking about that? Can we just mention that like somehow the Academy just like did not nominate him for any of the prequel scores yet nominated him for all of the sequel scores? And that's not a diss to the sequel scores because I love them. But like, what in the what? What in the what? How to just I know it's probably because like the prequels weren't super well received compared to the originals, but like across the stars what you you would think anytime john williams releases a score it's automatic oscar nom right right and we wi- we widely acknowledge that the academy is stupid they're they, <laughs> as a bo- voting body they're very dumb they are very like, dumb yes but like what the harry potter scores were nominated but not the star wars ones anyway this isn't a Harry Potter podcast. This is this is an Attack of the Clones podcast. So with that, is there anything else in the like overarching big big ideas before we kind of dive into the main themes kind of I'm I was just about to say big ideas a second time, but you know, the main things that we're going to talk about past this point. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think we should just keep keep moving along here and i think we should really start with sort of the the political scene because we talk so much about how much we love politics and star wars and this is this is it this is the movie i love democracy narrator in the background is in fact saying he does not love democracy this movie somehow escalates the politics escalates the tension of course years have passed since our phantom menace politics and tension around naboo and the trade federation we now have all these separatist factions there are more evil alliances there are more people who are wanting to leave we learn in the crawl that there is unrest in the galactic senate and several thousand star systems have declared their intentions to leave the republic stuff is getting bad it's interesting to go from like you know these kind of minor in scale isolated incidents of like you know trade disputes and an invasion of naboo and a and a blockade of the planet and their trade to now the republic yeah dismantling and george referred to this film yeah george referred to this film as the beginning of the end of democracy and i thought that was interesting because revenge of the sith is the end we're watching the end of the democracy happen but when you look at attack of the clones it is really how do we get to that point and all it takes is like the separatist movement and and count dooku who's such like a confident person he's very persuasive i mean he almost even gets to obi-wan a little bit during the interrogation scene like obi-wan starts to doubt himself and his his loyalties to the republic and oh man like qui-gon respected this guy like maybe i should no, maybe he's wrong, you know, and and sort of planting those seeds of like, hey, there is a dark lord controlling everything and he controls the Senate. And so like all these seeds are getting planted, the the distrust is forming and people are starting to think like maybe the Republic isn't in the best of all of our interests. Right. And it's so interesting when you recontextualize this in the High Republic era to how the High Republic is all about. We are all the Republic. Like, let's bring everybody into the Republic. Let's add more planets and more star systems and let's all join together and sing Kumbaya, right? And now, mm-hmm. 250 years later, we're seeing 
all of Lena So's and before her and after her's hard work crumble. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it's really interesting because from the beginning of this trilogy, this prequel trilogy, we know exactly where we're going to end up. These prequel movies are a direct response to the the original trilogy movies and it's it's pretty interesting to kind of watch the progression from of course anakin's childhood to this love story and then the ultimate demise already knowing that the ultimate demise is what's coming here there's no happy ending here and so to watch it all fall apart is really interesting and and to kind of understand george's view of the political landscape within the star wars galaxy but also all these politics are are somewhat analogous to real world politics they're all based from somewhere and of course we get that line in uh revenge of the sith that's directly pulled from politics of the day so it's it's very interesting to see him envision the beginning of the end of democracy by palpatine literally saying that he loves democracy Mm -hmm. and that he's then going to create an army which doesn't feel so good. <laughs> George has always said too, like democracies are given away. And here we see a, a Senate give away emergency power to the chancellor, like unlimited. He literally has unlimited power. That's why he's just so high on it in revenge of the Sith because he gets what he wants. And this is his long game here. He wants to, um, he wants to use his army. He wants to initiate the clone wars. He wants to, spread the, Je- the the Jedi across the galaxy so that when the order does finally come, they are all decentralized and they're everywhere and they're isolated. Yeah. And it's very mm-hmm. easy to wipe out the Jedi order um, because of this war. And it's, it's really a terrifying master plan. It is absolutely terrifying. That, and then it's all deeply premeditated because we learn in Obi-Wan's whole quest is that this army was commissioned years upon years ago for it for use for by the republic mm-hmm. of course learning more about sifo Dyas, that's a kind of a complicated complicated thing sifo Dyas, he wasn't doing that with malicious intent in mind he was afraid right well i'm not going i'm not well, going crazy in saying that well according though to the timeline i guess like sifo Dyas was already dead by the time that the, the oh. order was placed so i i guess we're led to believe that maybe it was palpatine under the guise okay. of Sifo Diaz placing the order. That's how I've this always is, interpreted it. As as for many years, this has always been actually quite confusing to me because somebody was like, yeah, Sifo Diaz, Sidious, it's just kind of like a misspelling of the name. And then mm-hmm. Sifo Diaz as a character was fleshed out. And then there's that element. So I know I sound really stupid and I'm going to ask Brad not to edit this part out. Um, but <laughs> I think there has been a, a backstory to the Sifo Diaz character as well as um, Palpatine's kind of long-term machinations that um, complicate the whole story in in really layered ways because we do know that Sifo Diaz kind of had premonitions and was very fearful and uh, somewhat skittish because of that. We also know that Palpatine is an evil, evil man. <laughs> and also I would recommend to everybody read Dooku Jedi Lost and also go listen to Blast Point's episode on Sifo Diaz. They just put out for their Attack of the Clones here because it's a good one. Uh, Blast Point's never oh. misses. Fact. Facts. Straight facts Fact. only. I haven't listened to this one yet. I definitely should. Yeah. Um, maybe that would have cleared up my Sifo Dyas nonsense. Quite like, you know, 
<laughs> step stool I just got up on. Um, but but yeah, there's just so many interesting, very concerning layers to Palpatine's endgame that get played out in this film that we then see the ultimate results of in the Clone Wars TV show and then in Revenge of the Sith. And like pff, we know that it's bad, bad. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting to kind of see it all fall into place in the worst way. Yeah, and like with the the backdrop of like war sort of on the cusp of of everything, you have this this love story and even within that, you know, Anakin and Padme having this moment during the the picnic, which I think is actually some of the best dialogue that they have throughout the film, um talking about, you know, democracies and dictatorships and all these sort of things and how basically Anakin's like I just want people to come to the table agree what's in the best interest of the people and agree on it and make it work. And Padme's like, but that's what we try to do. But people come at it from different angles and they don't always agree on the solution. And he's like, well, they should be made to. And so that is, you know, you you understand Anakin's intentions, right? Because it's coming from a, a good place. It's coming from a place of like, he wants the best interests of the galaxy to actually be uh, seen through and to come to fruition because it will be helpful for all people um, and and the people need to find a way to come to consensus, right? He's just not necessarily like looking at it in the right way. And I think that's sort of giving into some of his, uh, or, or at least exposing some of his vulnerabilities uh, and ways of thinking that Palpatine is able to prey on about. Yeah, his naivete. Yeah. And, and to say, hey, you know, join me as my Padawan and we'll make the empire and it can be ours and we can you know, he says to Padme on Mustafar, we can make the galaxy the way we want to, right? It calls back to that picnic scene of, you know, if people want to agree, we can make them agree because we, we, you know, we want to change the galaxy and make it better. Um, his vision is is flawed, but I think his, 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 his intention comes from a good place, although it's, it's, it's not executed well, or, or at least uh, it's the, the means to get there aren't, aren't ethical. I think what's really interesting about that conversation that they have in the meadow though, is that there's an insider outsider perspective that is incredibly can be like mirrored one-to-one like onto our politics or any politics around the world um, where, you know, people are elected and then those people who are elected into those positions are the inside group and everybody else is the outside group. Right. And the rhetoric, all of the yelling that goes on, um, is what the public sees and what the public responds to and what the public thinks being a politician is. However, a lot of what being a politician is, is attempting, even if they don't get there, sitting in a room and attempting to compromise to get any, literally anything done, um, uh, any sort of bill. And Anakin is, is not wrong in, in not recognizing that when he's talking to Padme. There is a huge disconnect between between like the day-to-day legislating and then the rhetoric and what the public understands and what the public sees because there's also a very specific image that the legislators are putting out into the world and i think padme in the context of this film is really like obviously we know padme she is strong she's confident she's thoughtful she's resourceful and she's really smart and she wants to get the job done. She's dedicated to her work. So she is one of those people that's not all about the rhetoric and not all about this yelling that's going on that she can see happening. She's concerned about that. And, and so she's trying to say like, this is what we do. 
But the problem is that like this overshadows everything that we attempt mm-hmm. to do. And so she can see the thing, you know, things crumbling because not everybody agrees. And of course not everybody will agree. I also find it interesting though, that Anakin is like, it wouldn't be me having those conversations, somebody wise, somebody that would be elected there. And I think right. that like, that is a very clear outsider opinion too. Um, so I think that this conversation in the, the meadow here is really valuable and you're right i think it is some of the most interesting dialogue and one of the most fascinating scenes because it's again painted against this very lush romantic backdrop and it's this very kind of serious moment about political systems and insider and outside groups so anyway um, i'll stop talking about politics now (laughs) (laughs) no we're gonna keep talking about politics because i want to i want to talk about padme here for a second too you know she's i think she's probably along with bale and like mothma and some of their faction she's like one of the most staunch uh opponents to the military creation act and the idea of creating an army and to going to war versus just coming to the table and talking and negotiating peacefully uh, she doesn't want more war and it makes sense coming from a planet that was invaded um and saw so many atrocities especially those that uh, you know affected the the handmaidens around her and there's some cruel irony too that she is not even present for when the vote actually happens. And that was one of her fears mm-hmm. about leaving Coruscant. And she's like, knows the importance of the bill coming up. And she's like, if I'm not here for it, like who's going to, who's going to speak out. Right. Because I think that, I think that there's a symbolism with Padme of, she is sort of the light, uh, amongst the very shady bureaucracy around her. Right. Like she kind of is that spark of hope potentially. And you always know that she is going to take the moral high ground at the end of the day you know obviously like symbolized with the rebel shaped crown that she wears in revenge of the sith when she says like you know liberty dies with thunderous applause right like she sees it everybody everybody else is like clapping we just gave away democracy right and it's her and bail who are like no right and so you're supposed to feel like padme is the only one fighting for the right thing you know anti she's anti-war that is such a special thing about her as a character. And we even see that like with Bail Organa at the end of the film, which I think is King. One of the most important moments in the entire prequel trilogy is when we see the army getting ready to fly off and start the clone war. We, we get this shot of like all these senators, like looking on it very proudly and Palpatine is so happy with it. And he's very proud and they're all looking at it except for Bail, who looks away from the clone army and knocks his fist against the railing and the look of disappointment on his face. Like that moment is the birth of the rebellion. Like right there, like that is the moment where he's Mm. like, we have already lost. Like democracy is already dead. Like this is the end, you know? So I got to put the contingency plan into place with Mothma and with Padme. And we got to recruit the people who have always been against war from the, from the get go and who never wanted this. Right. And so I think that's, you know, tying it back to the beginning of the end of democracy. I think like characters like Bale and Padme are just so special because, um, again, they are supposed to feel like the only ones who are fighting for the right thing. And I think their steadfastness and their commitment to their own principles is what makes them um, some of the most admirable characters in all of Star Wars. Yeah. And they're just people with uh, a lot of integrity. And we see Padme's like she i mean she has this whole romance with anakin which is a whole other thing and i mean i live for this ship but it was also like that romance is a a hot mess in in some ways but again i still live for the ship um but like 
she never wavers in her commitment towards others, no matter what. And and that is a pretty incredible quality that she has that I I really um, admire from her. I will say too, the Clone Wars are great because it has more Bale and more Padme. And a lot of these topics are dealt with in the Clone mm. Wars. So for any of you who haven't like watched the Clone Wars, it would be... He's uh, talking to me, folks. I'm trying to get her to watch the Clone Wars, guys. But... <laughs> I think I think the the brilliant thing about that show is it doesn't shy away from some of these uh, intricacies of like you know pro war anti war and um, the issue there and Padme continuing to fight even amidst like the worst type of war that they've seen in in centuries. So I think it's all fascinating stuff, and um, I like that this 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 movie is a uh, as much a political thriller as it is a romance story and mystery. Yeah, I I have to agree. So with that, should we dive into the mystery? There it is, R4. Right where it should be. Our missing planet, Kamino. The mystery. Ooh, it's not October yet. I know. It's not spooky season yet, but we do kind of have a spooky sort of mystery because Ooh. it involves the unknown. And this mystery, this mystery gets unraveled in a couple of different ways, which is really exciting, right? Because we, of course, have Zam Wessel's connection to Django <laughs> that we're following, right? You know, that, that, why are you laughing? I'm just, I'm thinking of a tweet that was like, how ridiculous is it that it's like Palpatine hired Dooku, is working with Dooku, who then hired Newt Gunray, who then hired Django, and then Django hired Zam Wessel, and then Zam Wessel gave, had a droid, and then that droid spurted out worms, and then the worms attack Padme. I'm just like, there's so many layers of mystery here. <laughs> It, like it oh, is the man. ultimate onion. It is like you just—it's the the most giant onion you've ever seen in your life. It's a Star Wars onion. You bite you bite into it, and the, it just never ends. It's you absurd. bite into it, and then you immediately start hearing "Duel of the Fates" in your ears. <laughs> it's it's just—it's an audio onion. <laughs> it's it's just absurd. It's just absurd. Anyways, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but I just I started laughing because no, I thought of that. No, you're fine. I thought that of ended that up comment. working. Yeah, that ended up working because. <laughs> we have this connection, of course, between Zam and Django. And so Obi-Wan and Anakin are following that thread. And then Obi-Wan visits his old buddy, Dexter Jester, and is like, okay, what's this all about? And he's like, oh, yeah, the clones. And he's like, okay, well, Camino, the cloners, great. But then he goes to the archives and Jocasta's new is like, if it's not in the archives, it does not exist. And to Yoda, he's like, yeah, it should be here. And Yoda's like, yeah, that's a mystery indeed. Right. Like there's all these, there's all these layers to this. And the fact that we have the connection, we have somebody in the know and then the people who hold the knowledge are not in the know. Why aren't they in the know? Spooky, spooky. Um, and then, you know, of course, we have the whole Sifo Dias. Was it him? Was it not him? 
Probably not, but Sarah's still confused. She'll never not be confused <laughs> about it. It's fine. Don't Perpetually worry about it. confused about Sifo She was like, she was like seven when she watched this movie originally. She did not care about the name Sifo DS. Um, <laughs> but, um, but like, you're watching this mystery unravel and it's becoming no less mysterious, if that makes sense. It's exciting to watch Obi Wan like go on this, this mystery hunt and go to this like, off-worldly planet that nobody even knows of like if he died there like would anybody have even known like where to look for him you know like it's that it's that tense it's that scary it's that like the, the stakes are high for Obi-Wan. and it's always thunderstorming there yeah so it's a spooky place absolutely although it makes me think you know if the if kamina was moved from the archives like you know within the last century or within the last like decade or two um it was definitely the archives during the higher public era. So I ever wonder if we will see Camino, but I don't know who knows. That can be helpful for some Camino and higher public. I would love to see it. Maybe Yoda knew, maybe Yoda knew, but um, maybe they're making levelers. Ooh, they're cloning levelers. That would be terrifying. I, I don't want that. Please. It's very scary. I hope anybody who's on the higher public team listening to this, don't write that down. Do not do not. <laughs> but I, I love this whole mystery, especially when you watch the clone wars and you have watched the fives arc with me and you know, we know mm -hmm. the fact that the, the Kaminoans were in on it. They were in on the yeah. fact that these clones needed obedience chips, uh, and that they were not supposed to have as much independent thought. Although the beauty of the clone wars is that these clones who were bred for one purpose only end up do forming these really distinct personalities and they break out of their programming only to then eventually have their programming finally turned against them without their choice. And that is like the most heartbreaking Brutal. thing of the clone war. You know, it's that final shot of the series with the cracked helmet, you know, it's, it's, it's so symbolic and it, it really does. I think the, um, the intrigue around Camino and like what they're doing there is just so fascinating. Um, and so like watching this now is just like, it's like, Oh God, I want to tell Obi-Wan everything. I want to jump in there and tell him everything. I want to tell him what's going on, you know, and it's, it's almost hard watching him not understand the full uh, weight of what's happening. Um, but I do love too how he's going through the motions and kind of just going along with it. He's like, that's why I'm here. You know, like that's good news, uh, uh, you know, and he's just, he's just playing kind of the, the dummy of the situation, but kind of getting by faking it till he makes it, you know? You know, in Bridgerton season two, when Edwina is like, have I been this stupid all along? Were they always <laughs> like this? Right. Yeah, yeah. And being incredibly obvious, I feel like the Kaminoans, if you know, like how, because you, you can, you can obviously tell, um, that Obi-Wan doesn't know what it, what the heck is going on. You know, he's like, oh, oh yeah, Sifo-Dyas. Oh, mm-hmm. Of yeah, course, yeah. I, that's exactly why I'm here. You know, it's not convincing to an audience member and it's not supposed to be because it, it, it has to be clear that we are walking into something that's unknown to us. But like, how do the Kaminoans not know? Nobody's visited them in a decade. <laughs> Makes you like the TikTok At least sound. nobody from would the they Jedi. Know? They're gonna know. How would they know? How would the Republic they know? Did. And yet they don't know, you know, like it's, it's so, it's so silly. Um, but I, I love the Kaminoans too, because they saw, they are either going along with it and knowing that Obi-Wan doesn't know, 
or they're aloof to the whole thing, which is perhaps even better because they're so fascinating. They're, they're so in their own world as characters. They don't leave. They're very isolationist. They're just kind of focused in on their cloning. Um, and so they're ready to show off their work when somebody arrives to see it, which is a fascinating trait about them. Mm-hmm. And obviously, too, we get Django Fett, the introduction of Django and Boba, which all-time classic like tomorrow morrison you know i can't believe that it's 20 years later and um let me tell you let me tell you he's doing conventions right now if he's at star wars celebration i can't tell you how fast i will buy both the autograph and the photo op i am ready my wallet is ready tomorrow please your wallet is not ready i'm just i just want to take a photo with him and i just want to do a little a little boba fett pose with him you know i that'd just be very fists cute. out that'd be, that'd be cute but it's really cool to get him too, and in, in terms of a, uh, um, you know, the, again the bounty hunting scene of this movie, and um, it's great to see like the clones unmasked too, and like seeing the yeah. scale of the clones uh, looking mm-hmm. like him, um, having his voice behind the helmet, all that stuff is really cool. Um, the whole moment too, like where him and Obi Wan are talking, and like the tension in the room, and Boba's like awkwardly looking back and forth, like what the hell is going on. It's, um- the whole Camino scene is amazing because like the the tension just fluctuates you know you're you know obi-wan if he trips up he's he's in a rut like and then you know like it to to for the audience to be boba in that moment just kind of like uh dab what up like what's something's off here and you know boba's just a kid yeah and again as as viewers we were just kids watching this happen we also know that something's up and that's what makes that whole scene kind of wild to watch yeah because you know it's about to go down <laughs> have you ever been as far as the interior as coruscant he's like once or twice you know it's like oh my God, and you're like you know, and, and, and of course the, the kid viewer is like yeah he's like boba he right boba go close the closet armor is sitting on the floor you're like oh shit right you know right. as a viewer in 2002 you're like that's boba fett's armor oh my god you know so that was exciting but it looks a little different right and so um although the clone wars with Django's helmet, there's some questions I have. I know uh, Django's helmet blows up in the Clone Wars at some point, and there's some questions about how Boba gets it back. So there, there's the big mystery, another mystery on mysteries <laughs> around Django's helmet. I guess he's the original bounty hunter then, because Boba Fett's like 11 years old in this one. Come back on uh, Monday, I think, to fly spaceships. Can you do that? Fly through asteroids, fight, shoot. Took him under my arm. Call me dad now while we're here. Okay, I'll call you son, you know, just so we get the bit of bonding going. We just gotta use our imaginations. So I have um, a question for our listeners and please feel free to tweet us. I would really love to know your response. If you were older than we were when these movies came out um, by like any age gap, was the moment where the Kaminoans say, Oh yeah, the one thing he wanted was an unaltered clone for himself. Was that like a mic drop? Oh my gosh, it's it's Boba Fett moment for the people who, of course, had watched the original trilogy. I need to know because again, I was a child, 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 child yeah. when this movie came out, and and that's one of those things that if I were an adult, I feel like I would have been pointing at the screen, Leonardo DiCaprio style, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so seriously, listeners, uh. If you have any personal answer to that question, please tweet us at Friends of Force. Um, I want to know. 
Yeah, for the folks, the for the folks who weren't in the previous life at the time of you know nineteen seventy seven as a goldfish. No, or no, a dog, even if you were you know? in your previous life uh, yeah. in nineteen seventy seven, if you were like fifteen when that movie came out, if you were twenty five, like I just would love to know. <laughs> <laughs> we're having. We're just, I'm. Just, I'm just want to try and initiate a conversation with our with our friends who are not here in real time with us. So whenever yeah. you are listening to this, even if it's a long time from now, just tweet us and just say like yes or no. Yeah. <laughs> I want to ask you, though, what do you think of the fact that the Kevin Owens storyline has continued into modern Star Wars, like through the Clone Wars, Thrilling. through the Bad Batch, like a little the bit best. of typical Boba Fett, like getting some flashbacks uh-huh. on Kamino. Um, and obviously there's like hinting of more cloning in the Bad Batch at the end of um, season one, potentially, I think, with the uh, like mountain fortress place uh, that might exist sure. in Legends. Um, and even like into Mandalorian, there's some cloning stuff potentially happening and we know with like Snoke and Palpatine. So cloning is obviously like, this is sort of where like the cloning conversation begins, uh, in Star Wars and is continuing to this day. I think it's so stupid that like cloning is the thing. I want to be like really clear (laughs) here. Like I think cloning is like, it's silly, stupid, like Luke with two U's, like stop it. Um, However, I love it anytime you can bring the Kaminoans back. So I guess I'm here for more cloning. (laughs) Expand that cloning storyline. I'm really here for it. I just want my tall, tall, soft-spoken Kaminoans. They're they're my favorites. Um, I don't know what it is about them, but I love them. I'm really excited to see like what happens with Nala Say now. You know, as like the final, the final Kaminoan, the last of them, Mm -hmm. right? And so, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's you know kind of to wrap up our conversation on on Kamino. It's um, it's a story of tragedy because they are the 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 focal point of cloning in the galaxy, right? And they create this army uh, that that breeds the empire, and then they're yeah. sort of eliminated by said empire that they they gave birth to, right? And so there's some really intense stuff there, and um, it's a geno- it's a genocide of of the Kaminoans, right? Yeah. So it's it's quite a tragic story. Um, and the Jedi, yeah. So and the clones, it's, it's really, <laughs> everybody. There's really a lot of tragic layers here. Um, now, before we move on to like our kind of final talking point, I want to ask you one question. We're we're talking about Camino. I'm thinking of Camino saber darts. Makes me think of Dex. Do you think? Bold prediction. Do you think Dex is going to show up in the Obi Wan Kenobi series? I don't, but I think he should. Yeah absolutely should and they should do like a full like animatronic costume for him like upgraded that would that be cool. would be so expensive is what that would be no guys we wasted our budget on decks it's all gone all the money for the season's gone and then and then and then the, the people who are making it are like but, but you guys the lord of the Rings show is getting like a hundred bajillion dollars per episode <laughs> why can we not get a hundred bajillion dollars to make oh decks gosh. anyway anyway that would be I really think interesting though if, if he saw decks and you know decks might be one of the only people that recognizes obi-wan i feel like i feel like having decks come back would be like um a reclamation of that character and and a recontextualizing of that character because I think Dex like gets a lot of hate because he runs a diner and it feels it feels somewhat out of place within what we had gotten of of Coruscant so far which was very um uppity 
mm-hmm. in a sense. If that does that make sense, you get the Jedi, you get the Senate, you get the nightlife, sort of like regal, and then you more get, regal, and this is sort of more in like yeah, the in like the the commoner area, sort of you know, like the everyday people, yeah, very casual, very casual. And I think I think people don't like Dex because he's got a particular kind of griminess about him, but he's actually like a really good-hearted character yeah he's a small business owner oh, we, we love stand it an, we stand an icon um and and he really is an interestingly like an old friend to obi-wan and someone who can be trusted and so i think it would be really interesting for dex to make a reappearance to learn a little bit more about him and to understand more of his relationship with obi-wan if if obi-wan or if he was recognized um Oh, pardon me. If Obi-Wan was recognized by Dex, I think that would be a, an interesting, perhaps, conundrum for Obi-Wan to be in. Um, does that compromise Obi-Wan? Does that, um, you know, is that an important moment for him to be recognized? I don't know. I, it's yeah. an interesting, it's interesting hypothetical. That's that's why I'm saying, like, maybe are we going to get a moment in the show where Obi-Wan's, like, cover is sort of, like, down because he sees somebody he knows, right? And I feel like Dex mm. could kind of be, like, a, a logical person for that moment to or that like kind of trope to happen right like trying to trying to hide and yeah kind of have to say hello and goodbye pretty quick you know so it's it's one of those uh, moments of sadness as well it's like this is the galaxy i can't be who i am outwardly um it could be really interesting I, I think i would be a huge fan of that that's all i'm saying so make it happen lucasfilm even though you've already shot the series but <laughs> even though it's already done it's not too late for um, reshoots please, please make an edit for us just us just have them in the background yeah. like walking through yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Be like, oh my God, it's Dex. And then Leonardo DiCaprio pointing. Um, but with that, I think we should move on and talk about, um, you know, last but not least, one of, I think, both of our favorite elements of this and also perhaps one of the most contested elements of this movie. But there, everybody who is, says it's bad is capital W wrong. It's the romance. It's the romance. It's Anadala. It is Across the Stars. It is the absurdity and the amazingness of this star-crossed, totally doomed romance. And all of a sudden he comes back and she's like, wow, you know, he's grown up into this handsome young Hayden Christensen. So their relationship really goes from this sort of her looking down on this younger guy to him sort of proving himself as a real force. You are, Annie! It is you! <laughs> Jedi! What do you know? <laughs> this is such an interesting relationship because, like, I'm a firm believer in Anadala and I love the two of them together. And obviously, they have such a soft spot and a genuine connection with each other. Um, even when Anakin was a kid getting rescued by Padme, like, he, he just looked up to her. And you see a lot of their relationship throughout the Clone Wars series and what they act like around each other as a married couple and how much Anakin uh, protects Padme and cares for her. And so like, even though that, that connection is genuine, like there are problems like at sort of the root of the relationship. And even George says that um, by giving into their emotions, you know, they're ultimately going to face the consequences, which they, they end up doing. And it's a, it's a tragic love story, you know, like you love, Mm -hmm. it's like, it's like you love the two people together. It's like Romeo and Juliet, right? You know that they're from opposing houses. You know that Anakin and Padme are from opposing houses, opposing classes, you know, one's a Senator, one's a Jedi, right? It's just, it's a classic love story. And for 
Anakin, he is explicitly going against what he's been taught his whole life. Loving Padme is an act of rebellion for him as a young man. And like while they're traveling to Naboo, he says attachment is forbidden, possession is forbidden, uh, compassion, which I would define as unconditional love, is central to a Jedi's life. You might say that we're encouraged to love. Right. And so, so he's, he's trying like to spin that a little, a little bit. bit. Yeah. He's yeah. like, he's like, how can I make this work for me? You know, like from a certain point of view. So which yeah. Which I don't think he's wrong in saying no. that like you might say that we're encouraged to love because like the way that they're brought up, they ultimately have this Padawan master relationship that is a loving, trusting, unconditional sort of relationship at the end of the day. It's like a parent and child in, in growing up. However, uh, they're so discouraged from romantic love that it becomes taboo in a way that like, of course, these Padawans are going to want to rebel. And I think that because and because Anakin comes from a home where he was loved and where his mom loved him and, and that he remembers her and her love for him, that loving others is in his nature. And so his infatuation that he harbors for the time that he and Padme are apart over the years ultimately must evolve in terms of his own like uh, growth as a person uh, because he doesn't know how to like regulate those emotions necessarily and so i think you're right when you say this is like an infatuation this is a passion for another one another like they, there's something that's magnetic about them that they they can't deny when they're with each other right um which ultimately leads them to keeping this incredible secret uh because not only are they dating not only are they together but they like they get married they get whole married like the, there's a there's a kiss there's a there's a veil like the whole the whole nine yards um which is a huge, huge secret to keep. It's, you know. And I, I think there's also something about the secret that, like, for lack of a better word, like, kind of gets them off and kind of, <laughs> kind of, like, kind of, like, accelerates the feeling of, of that infatuation, right? Like, it's yeah, one thing yeah. when you are kind of outward and everybody's in the know about, about a couple, but when you're sort of, like, trying to hide it and, like, work behind the scenes, it almost becomes exciting. And I think that's sort of yeah. for Padme and Anakin, they sort of feel that of like, oh, wow, like there's so much passion here because like we're doing this thing in the shadows that nobody knows about. Right. And like you said, that there is really a genuine, a genuine spark there. And I think, um, you know, talking about how Anakin is not able to really compartmentalize his feelings. He lives within a, a structure that doesn't allow him to. And so he's unable to have those conversations about love right you think of like somebody like Kansom Sai and Yoda having a conversation in the higher public about Kansom wanting to leave uh, for somebody that they love and mm -hmm. I don't necessarily think Anakin would be able to have that conversation with the current Jedi Order to talk about his feelings um, and maybe maybe Obi-Wan would be open to that but I'm not sure Anakin knows that is the problem and I'm also not sure if Obi-Wan would be willing to have the conversation either Although we know Obi-Wan has had his infatuations of his own with, you know, Duchess Satine of Mandalore, but, uh, so that's and also, also Obi-Wan had Qui-Gon as a master. Qui-Gon was pretty Qui rebellious in yeah, his own ways. Yeah. And we all know Padawans are like kind of weird and they have, you know, they have their little <laughs> crushes. We know that from Elzar and Avar. We know that. So it, it happens. I mean, I mean, the, they, they go through a teenage phase just like the rest of us. Of course, of course. <laughs> But I think what is key to Anakin's journey here towards the dark side 
it's inextricably tied to his romance with Padme because there's this idea uh-huh. from George that the Sith grow and thrive on like, you know, selfishness and they thrive on greed and like getting what they want. Whereas a Jedi is supposed to be selfless and supposed to give themselves, uh, you know, g- give their own life if needed to save another. Like they're, they're supposed to be rising above their own passions and their own wants. And so when you have a, a character like Anakin who is really giving into his his desires, I think that's what George means when he says it's bound for for disaster. But you ultimately know that like Anakin is a good guy. Like the Skywalkers are a, a, a good family. Like Shmi Skywalker is a good mother. Anakin Skywalker is a good son. Like she raised that boy the best that she could given their circumstance as slaves on Tatooine. Mm-hmm. She did the best job she could and she raised a damn good kid. What happens, though, is when that kid doesn't necessarily get the guidance that he needs and is living in a confined system and is also being preyed upon by one of the darkest, most evil people of all time that will eventually yeah. become a dictator of this entire republic and is, yeah. is quite literally grooming this, this boy. And we mm-hmm. see it with, with, with Ben Solo and to Kylo Ren, right? It's the, same, mm-hmm. it's the same thing, different generation. And Natalie Portman had a really interesting quote where she said evil isn't just pure evil. A lot of times it comes from good. Episode two is sort of like an extended portrayal of how evil evolves. And she later begs the question, if evil can love, then what is evil? If love is what makes you human is someone who is evil human still. And so she's asking, (laughs) she's asking all these like spicy. She's asking like all these really philosophical questions, but I think it's a good point is like, you know, a lot of times evil comes from good and i think that's the situation with anakin and what she's trying to get across is like anakin's good he's he's really good-hearted he wants to love this woman and give his life to her and to save her he wants to save his mother he loves people so much he has so much love to give he just doesn't like know what to do with all those emotions right he doesn't know you know in terms of ram jamaran how to take them off the cart when to put them back on the cart, which emotions to choose, which not to choose in the moment. Like he doesn't understand how to piece his own brain together. And so it, 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 it turns into these lashes of anger, which we see at the Tuscan camp, which is tragic. Yeah. And, and, and was wrong, you know, completely like wrong. He, he, and, and he kind of, yeah, he lashes out in this way that is like really hurtful for him. And while it might rest his own, the psyche for a moment it also doesn't because he realized all the further pain that he's caused because ultimately he realizes that like they're all the same even if they're they're different they have a different culture whatever whatever happened to bring me there which was wrong too like ultimately their families as well that he broke apart um and and there's this sort of like recognition that anakin has about his own emotions but an inability to act on them in a productive manner because he recognizes like what I'm feeling is my desire to save you. And what I'm feeling is fear. And what I'm feeling is um, like a bit of feeling a bit stuck. So instead of understanding why I feel that way or 
trying to be the best I can in that moment, I'm going to try to fix the future, something I don't already know. And so there's like, yeah, you're right. There's a there's an inability for him to take emotions off the cart and, and deal with them and understand their scope within the big picture. All the emotions are big for him because he never learned to regulate his own emotions. And like, again, that's not to excuse his actions, but obviously, um, like we do get this understanding of him as a person throughout these three movies, which is a really interesting thing to do, you know, at like as an idea for some prequels, like let's make our big bad guy who kind of gets redeemed at the end, like into a child and then a teen and then a young adult before he turns evil. Like that's interesting. It's interesting. That's what that is. Well, there are Jedi rules, you know, and one of them is that you don't you don't fall in love and he breaks those rules. He feels very passionately about becoming a, a great Jedi, but at the same time, he, he feels so passionately for Padme. And he's, it's that confusion uh, that, that really causes him all of his anxiety. It's the same struggle for, for Padme. She She's the sort of the more mature one, the more rational one, the one that's not letting her emotions run away with her. It's really a struggle for her to say, you know, can I be selfish and fall in love myself when I have all these aspirations and all these things I need to accomplish? So it's the struggle to sort of maintain some sanity in the uh, overwhelming wave of chaos brought about by love. And we have to mention to the casting of Hayden Christensen because Phantom Menace was Jake Lloyd. So this is the first time Hayden has the rings mm-hmm. as Anakin Skywalker. And what a perfect casting. I know people say like people like to, you know, crap talk Hayden's performance and whatnot. And like, I don't think that's necessarily fair. Um, a lot of it is up to the, you know, writing and directing and like what you're given. So we're not necessarily there, but he is a good actor. And we're going to see that in Kenobi. Like we're going to see him back in in live action here shortly. And that's very exciting. And he's coming back for a reason because he has a passion for the character and for these stories. And we are just so fortunate to have Hayden and his performance is amazing. I don't know like what people are talking about because when he does deliver that line, I hate them. You know, I slaughtered them like animals. Like that is chilling. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like I, I, I just like, he has the Anakin look and the tone and the feel like i know that is anakin skywalker i would have loved another whole movie with him (laughs) as anakin right like oh would have loved it i think there's also this really interesting like juggling that anakin does because we talk about this romance we talk about this um you know strong passion he's feeling these desires he's feeling and we see you know padme really um she's stoic she's strong she's fierce but she also does smile she laughs she she really kind of feels her full ranges of emotions authentically but anakin really kind of has to push that aside quite often he doesn't laugh he doesn't smile too often only when he's really with her does he see that do we see that as the audience but he also is dealing with this fear and this anger there's always layers to the emotions that anakin is feeling and between like what he's feeling and what he's putting out there. And you can often see the struggle that he's kind of working through in his brain. And it's really kind of interesting to watch Hayden work through that as he is speaking um, in the scenes. Because like, of course, like the, the dialogue is often perhaps a little bit silly or a little bit memeable to us. And that's not, not bad, but like these are authentic emotions that, Anakin is dealing with that he just like doesn't know what to do with 
Hayden is also very good with his nonverbal acting. Oh, like his eye, like what what he's doing with his eyes. They're so intense. They're so powerful. But I think he you yeah you see a lot through those eyes in his performance, and you really do feel like he is encapsulating the character. It's 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 honestly beautiful, and I'm so excited to see him in Kenobi. And I know we're gonna get him on mass. Like I know we're gonna get a Clone Wars flashback. They're not gonna give us a Kenobi series. And not give us a scene where we see Anakin and Obi-Wan like in their Clone Wars armor, like Ewan and Hayden. They better. Like, we're gonna get like it. If, That's a guarantee. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so ready for that. And like his long hair, too. Like, oh, give it to me. <laughs> Please. I will I will be sobbing. <laughs> oh man. So, um, I I'm relate so to everything you just said, especially about the hair. No comments, no further comments necessary. Um the black glove, the scar. Oh, baby, that's a look. This is it is a look. It is a look. Um, everybody had a th- everybody had a crush on Hayden Christensen growing up. I'm pretty sure. I think you can understand what what uh, Padme saw in him. You know, mm-hmm. you know. We have a sense with Anakin that there's a dark side to him, and his dark side already clouds the relationship. He does have an edge. He's got a sort of a James Dean sullen edge to him. She sees this sort of darkness to him but obviously that's always intriguing girls always like the bad boys the anger is is a is a product of his confusion he's very passionate about it the path that he wants to take as a jedi you know he's very determined and he feels like he's being held back he wants to break free of that but then at the same time uh you know he's found this love in his life which takes him in a completely different direction the idealistic sunny aspect hopeful aspect of what of what we feel is balanced by the sense that uh, that experience gives us that these relationships never quite work out the way we idealize them and something will happen to tilt it we should do a little italy episode (laughs) (laughs) there's another romance hayden christensen romance to to follow next up Um, on attack of the clones april our little italy spoiler discussion (laughs) yes okay can we talk a little (laughs) bit about um though like the kiss as they entered the arena and like the drama of that moment as across the stars is playing because that's, I mean, ultimately they get married at the end and that's the end of the movie, but like that's the culmination of everything that we've gotten so far. And it's that moment where they think they're both going to die and that this is the end and that they have to express their love in this way now or else. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, and that moment is so iconic. And I love too how across the stars sort of builds up softly throughout the movie. And then it finally mm-hmm. explodes at the end here. Yes. It's, it's, it's that moment before, like, you know, we get the main, because they express their love to one another. And, and Anakin's like, you love me. I have thought we had decided not to do that. And then, and then they're like, okay, we're committing to the lie now. And I think that's really interesting that after this hour and 45 minutes or so of this dance that they play, but also the fact that they are expressly lying to themselves about not living a lie because they're like on Naboo in the same bed together. Guys, you are not, this is not chill. This is not chill. Um, you know, this is not just platonic, obviously he's shirtless and y'all are in the same bed. I'm just (laughs) saying, I'm just saying, um, but like they had been denying 
them denying the truth to themselves and to each other up until that point when they really choose to accept it and then ultimately get married once they decide they both are going to live um, by being smart, cool people. Um, so it's just it, their their journey in this movie is is very interesting and compelling to watch even if you're like oh no that's not my ship or like oh no these two are so stupid and it's like well yeah they're young people who are at the center of this conflict who are not allowed to be together for like 12 different reasons who are choosing to do it anyway yeah i don't know it's kind of great it's kind of great you can't you can't help but love it you really can't yeah i i agree (laughs) i have to admit that without the clones it would not have been a victory Victory? Victory, you say? Master Obi-Wan, not victory. The shroud of the dark side has fallen. Begun. The Clone War has. Well, with that being said, to sort of wrap up our discussion here on the the film, uh, we asked you all on Twitter, uh, what do you love most about episode two? So we wanted to hear from you and we got quite a few responses, which we're very excited about. Uh, So thank you for everybody who um, did respond. We can't go through them all. We were going to try our best to get through um, a few of them here. We can speed run a couple of these, though, I will say. Yeah, we can. We can speed run a couple. Uh, our first one here comes from Levi, who's a patron. Being a prequels baby, there's so much to love in Attack of the Clones, but 20 years later, the Battle of Geonosis is still one of the most exciting parts of any Star Wars movie to me, and I'm thankful to it for launching on my favorite Star Wars eras. Yes. Absolutely. Agree. The Jedi in their prime. Firmly agree. Love it. At Kit Fisto fan, unsurprisingly says Kit Fisto, of course, which Joe Martinez, Kit Fisto fan, I have to respect. I agree. Kit Fisto. <laughs> The moment Kit Fisto smiles, uh, man, what a moment, what a moment that, that is so great, by the way, <laughs> who doesn't love Kit Fisto? I feel like if you're not like, like that guy, then you're wrong. He totally got unfairly treated in Revenge of the Sith. Like he definitely could have put up a longer fight against Palpatine. Like, come on. That's, that's true. Unreal. That's true. I will also say that Scarification at Scarification says, love it when Star Wars is romance. Yeah. We have to agree wholeheartedly, as you can tell by our conversation thus far. And this is also echoed by uh, Master Mary Skywalker at M underscore Skywalker 93. And they said, I love the romance and character building we see with Anakin, his range of emotions, also Padme's fashion and the immaculate soundtrack. Everything really. I just love the movie. It's top tier comfort, which top tier comfort is same. Yeah. Same page. And I, I, I love the fact that this film just fully embraced the romance because they're in, in the original trilogy. It's not really confronted fully between uh, Han and Leia. This movie, like the trailer for the movie is like, this is a romance. Like they are kissing in the trailer. It's like, that's what you are being yeah. sold, you know? So I, I love how George did not shy away from that. I mean, but there are other uh, responses that also echoed the romance element of uh this and i just have to agree with everybody who is saying that and of course 
Mary, thank you for mentioning Padme's fashion. We failed to talk about her many iconic outfits in this movie, but she has iconic outfit on top of iconic outfit, including the wedding dress, the lake dress, the battle outfit. It's just look after look for her. Our other patron, uh, Cheryl, said the same thing. Uh, She said Padme's outfits, especially all the ones she wears during the lake house scenes on Naboo, which like totally agree. I would say the like the white, yellow, purple dress that she wears when Anakin kisses her for the first time. Like that is the best Padme outfit. Like the lake dress. Yeah, 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 yeah. that is the best one. And then the black corset. Yeah. The kind oh, of sexy yeah, outfit yeah. are on the fire side. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Gotta yes, say, yes, though, yes. Still super bummed that we uh, lost Padme's lake dress to uh, the <laughs> oh. the uh, hyperspace uh, <laughs> in the Charles Soule you know comics. <laughs> we don't need to talk about it. We don't need to talk about but it. Hey, um, hey, Leia got to see them one one time, though. That was good. Yeah. <laughs> still sad about I, it. I, I <laughs> guess. Still I guess sad about it's it. good still sad um joe brennan at joe underscore brennan underscore says the wonderful example of non-lightsaber star wars action and it is the Django fett uh obi-wan kenobi battle scene before they go into space and i have to totally agree and i was so glad that brad you mentioned this earlier and that joe also brought it up here because it's one of those things where the action because one's got a blaster and one's got a lightsaber, it can be a little bit more distance from each other. And, you know, there are different sort of pros and cons to each weapon that we get to see unfold here in this sequence. Yeah, we really get the full range of like Obi-Wan's fighting style, right? Because he's just solo. So what is he doing on his own there? And we see a lot of, you know, his like little flips and Oh God, I love when he's like, oh, not good. And he just <laughs> flies over the edge. So good. So many good moments in that fight. Our next response here is from uh, Brandon Harbecki, at Brandon Harbecki. And he says, action, love, and the return of Watto. <laughs> yeah. Another great response we got is not as exactly about the movie itself, but around the culture of the movie. And David Griffiths, at David Griff writes, how it reminds me of the first time I had the internet. The making of vids and George Lucas selects on StarWars.com were just incredible insights into a great film. David, you got to be the one to respond about yes or no to the Boba Fett moment for me, friend. Um, <laughs> but I, I wish I could be there because that's not something that I experienced into, into the lead up of this film. And so I can only imagine, and I've heard from many secondhand accounts of just how incredible the Star Wars.com BTS was of this era. Um, oh my gosh, to to take a time machine back in time to experience this would be amazing. I remember there were some things too that were like behind a paywall. I think you had to like sign up to be like in the hyperspace club. There was always like this little like yellow H behind some of the videos that you couldn't oh. you couldn't access the videos unless you were signed up. And I just like never signed up for it but i was like i want to see what's what's behind the paywall it's because you didn't have access to a credit card <laughs> I, yeah it's because i did not have my own money or my own income but uh yeah, it's, yeah. it's also incredible too like back then you could we could see so much of these films before they came out like we had like the entire revenge of the sith video game before the movie like it was just it was just a different time different time even even the trailers showed a lot. Essentially, the entire plot of the movie, including one of the last shots of the movie. Yeah, so. yeah. Um, Isaac Monteros at I Monteros says the part where Obi jumps out of a window 
I agree. Correct. Very sexy of him. Uh, <laughs> Evan McDonald at McDonald tweets says uh, around the survivors, a perimeter create and to the forward command center. Take me just some absolute stunners from Yoda throughout the whole film. <laughs> Begun. The clone war has <laughs> wait. We never talked about flippy flippy Yoda. How do we miss Flippy Flippy Yoda? I mean, we talked about we talked a lot about Flippy Flippy Yoda in our behind the scenes episodes. We didn't like forget him entirely. Yeah, we did. So I just want to shout out again, Flippy Flippy Yoda. It's so much better like watching it now. It's like like it was great then, but it's even better now. Like for some reason, I just I appreciate it. And also shout out to Christopher Lee for becoming Count Dooku in this film and like just portraying such an amazing character. We are. the Star Wars franchise is much better with him in it. A hundred percent. So he was really thriving between being Count Dooku and Saruman at the same time, like king, king shit. Exactly. David at mindful underscore Jedi writes, this was my first Star Wars and it definitely set the tone for what I expect in the series. Uh, Jesus detective Obi-Wan. <laughs> It was always a great time. And Dooku versus Yoda is utterly delightful in every watch. We obviously agree as Flippy Flippy Yoda fans. And then Camo's Mills, Camo's Mills uh, wrote, agreed, David, it's hard to believe it's been two decades. I missed it in the theater, but AOTC was the first movie I owned on VHS. Shout out. And also probably the last movie you owned on VHS because <laughs> everything started coming out on DVD after this. Um, yeah again i had the dvd and not the vhs of this one so attack of the clones was like the first widescreen dvd star wars film it was pretty pretty special moment so yep yep good one to own and i love that our friend at lava castle lava writes was thinking about how much i've grown to love it thanks to the lego game and Mm. the main reason is its willingness to embrace the romance regardless of how it's handled and much of the modern star wars loves its vague and chaste ones and jango fett and obi-wan being a detective the geonosis battle count dooku so much awesome and i just had to shout out lava's response because he writes about the lego game which was so much of my early childhood fandom as well have you played through the skywalker saga attack of the clones level yet i actually started with the phantom menace and my life has been so busy oh my gosh i have not gotten through the phantom menace yet attack of the clones is so good it's so good i'm like, excited the whole I'm skywalker ready. saga video game is insanely fun and addicting i already have times two and times four studs i'm i need to go outside anyways <laughs> it's a great game i i was actually using that game as an excuse to prepare for this episode i'm like i'm kind of rewatching the film i'm playing it in there lego form <laughs> it's like somebody get me out of this chair And our friend at Can Build a Castle says absolutely everything. And you know what? We agree. And we had so many amazing responses. So we will post this tweet in the description so you can check out everybody's responses. And we uh, had so many excellent ones. So I apologize if we did get yours on this episode. But check them all out at the tweet. Because everybody's memories are so, so wonderful of this movie. Well, that wraps it up for this episode, and I'm so happy we got to talk about just the vibes of Attack of the Clones and how special it is. Last week was more from a technological perspective, this week from a more thematic perspective, and just like overall how this movie completely slaps 20 years later. And so I am just super grateful that we had that that space today, and we're going to have so much more to talk about. So if you're like, hey, wait, you guys didn't chat about this particular scene or this particular character or these things. There's two more episodes coming up, baby. 
And we got two special guests joining us, one returning and one new guest who hasn't been on the show before, but we've been long waiting uh, to join us. So we are very excited about both those episodes coming soon. And yeah, if you are excited about some other elements of this film, or maybe even some behind the scenes kind of uh, making of BTSC sort of energy, you will enjoy these episodes. So we really hope that you join us on the journey for the rest of the month and beyond as we continue to celebrate the Attack of the Clones love uh, in May at Star Wars Celebration and beyond. Yeah. So make sure you don't miss an episode of Friends of the Force. Make sure to follow us on Twitter instagram and youtube and you can find sarah and i on twitter letterboxd and goodreads sarah has a instagram page called sarah's puzzled pages where she talks all about books and wherever you're listening to the podcast whether it's on apple or spotify please drop us a rating helps other people find the show and join the conversation around star wars and especially this month attack of the clones because we want to hype this this movie up so much as we approach the 20th anniversary here shortly so we are so so excited we also have a Patreon where tiers start at just a dollar. And at our Buy the Book series, which is at our $5 tier, we have talked about the Attack of the Clones novelization. So if that's something that interests you, that is there. And we are so, so grateful to all of our patrons Amy, Anna, Brian, Carol, Cheryl, Clay, Danny, Davis, Deborah, Donnie, Elegy, Huang, Jen, Knights of Ren, Levi, Leanne, Lindsay, Lucy, Randy, Rob, Saber Bouquet, Sky Talkers, Travis, and T. Thank you all so much for your support. We appreciate you all listening. Yes, absolutely. As always, thank you once again for listening to this episode. And until next time, may the force be with you always. Bye.